All right, you're listening to the Holy Ruckus Podcast, episode 62. Let's talk about racism. Part one uh, was pretty good. Thanks so much for those that were listening and commenting and sharing your thoughts on such a big issue, not only in our world, but in our church. On this episode, we have Dominique Serafin, Brian Greenfield, and Mike Tenney lending their voices and lending their experiences to um, this talk about racial inequality. And uh, today's episode is going to focus on the institutionalized racism, the racism that we see and the racism that we don't see um, in the world and in the church. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And if you haven't already, go ahead and drop us a review. If you dig the content that Father Pat and myself and this panel is putting out, uh, more podcasts as part of the Holy Ruckus Podcast Network, go ahead and drop us a review. Drop us a like, five-star review. Let us know how you feel and uh, what ways that you are feeling blessed by this content. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, follow us at The Holy Ruckus on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And of course, for blogs, podcasts, and videos, theholyruckus.com. Thanks so much for listening. Part two, here we go. We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. Why were you made? I was made to be happy. The way to be happy is to know truth and to love goodness. In other words, I am made for God. Pero quiero lío en las dioses. Quiero que se salga fuera. You are now listening to the Holy Ruckus Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Holy Ruckus Podcast, episode 62, part two. Let's talk about racism. Let's talk about things that divide us. And we're going to try to do it uh, with love in our hearts, but also with some resolve and some boldness. And you can't say boldness without Father Pat Mullen. What's up, Father? <laughs> Hello, good people. Yes, I'm like the, the flaming talkies of... Uh, of <laughs> <laughs> I am boldly sporting something that no matter what comes of uh you know your listener you're listening in to our conversation today we can all agree that the world series champions are phenomenal and we're all max fans I hope or I'm going to convert Josh eventually one of these days. Yeah. you're going to have to do a big job because I don't even like baseball but anyway uh here we go so, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. Let's meet our panel of uh, beautiful people. Uh, let's start with, well, someone that uh, led us yesterday, uh, or I'm sorry, two days ago. Uh, Ms. Ogechi, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to the folks. Hi, my name is Ogechi Calabari. I am one of the content creators for The Holy Ruckus. I live in Maryland, and I'm excited for the second part of this conversation. All right, and our next uh, lady, go on ahead. Hi, my name is Dominique Serafin. I live in Maryland now for seven years, originally from New York City. There you go, there you go. Always claiming New York. That's I don't know, girl, you've been in Maryland an awful long time. You gotta represent, always in New York. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> BG, go ahead, Mr. BG. All right, my name is Brian Greenfield. I'm a teacher and a speaker. I live right outside Tampa, Florida. I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. There you go. There you go. Everybody knows uh, Father Pat, so I'm going to go ahead and swipe the other way, Father Pat. Let's go with uh, Mr. Professor Tenney. 
<laughs> Not professor. My name is Mike Tenney. I'm a high school theology teacher at St. Vincent Pilate, uh, Catholic high school in Laurel, Maryland. I'm also uh, a Catholic speaker and musician, and I write for the Holy Rock of the Father. Awesome. Awesome. And so, yes, and he does so many awesome things, Mr. Mike Tenney. Thanks so much for being here. Everyone, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and drop us some love and say hello on the comment section. We have someone monitoring those. Uh, don't be a troll. Otherwise, I'll show you the door. Uh, but otherwise, we love you, and we're so happy to have you uh, listening and watching at whatever time, whatever you're wearing. Folks, uh, can we be honest with ourselves? Are we wearing pants today? Uh, are we rocking pants in quarantine? Are we rocking pants or a skirt? What are we doing? Um, gym shorts. <laughs> I, 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 I plead the fifth. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome, guys. Well, well, thanks so much. We all know uh, Father Pat's wearing a kilt, and uh, we'll, we'll go there. All right. Um, but in all seriousness, let's, let's bring it on. Uh, Father Pat, do you want to lead us in our scripture uh, for this evening? For those who great. are playing the home edition, we're, um, we're praying with the gospel according to Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. On a Sabbath, he went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people they, there were observing him carefully. In front of him, there was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus spoke to the scholars of the law and Pharisees in reply, asking, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. So he took the man and after he had healed him, dismissed him. Then he said to them, Who among you, if your son or ox falls into a cistern, would not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? But they were unable to answer his question. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, as I, as I hear this, as I have read it, throughout the last couple of days. Um, this is actually the architect of, of this night uh, is a friend of mine. And so Tony put this together and so he couldn't be with us today. So uh, with love, I'm just gonna try to do my best to do this in his stead. But one of the reflection points that he made that, that really resonated with me, I'd like to share with you on that scripture and why we chose it, why we start each conversation with the word, right? So that we can act like him and act in him indeed right, in action. Uh, Jesus recognizes the dignity of the person above um, the application of, of the law, or the legalistic approach, right? He challenges the, the system in place or the way of doing things. You can't do this on the Sabbath, right? He, he disobeys in, in that sense, right? Um, because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. We, we know this, right? He is the lawmaker, the lawgiver, right? So he can, he can move in and pivot any way he wants to, right? But he challenges the system in place and the way of doing things, the routine and the comfort level of folks that live probably legalistically, right? Um, and so he speaks truth to power in a space where um, he has some clout being as he is a Jewish man, right? And so as we read this, the, or the example of Jesus and how he, he stands up for the dignity of, of persons or, or even I, I was watching um, or on Facebook looking at the mini feed and I saw the picture of the 99, right? Where Jesus goes after the one and the 99 are, are off to the side and, and someone like 
brought it back up in a little meme or a little political cartoon, right? How Jesus is going after. And I think that's what we're called to do now. Do we understand that what is the priority here, right? You know, even in our country, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but like what sits at the top of, of our church's teachings as we engage the culture and we try to bring our faith and we try to bring our Jesus, right? That we share one faith in the Lord. Um, are we recognizing the universal dignity of every human life of, of the person and the need at the moment, at the present moment, and willing to put that up, up, uphold that firstly? Are we willing to personally act and be in, I dare say, like in a persona Christi, right? Because um, we have something to offer the world uh, that we can bring Christ into these situations to defend the dignity of the person, much like Christ models for us and bring healing even when it goes against a system in place, which is our topic for the day, which is talking about systemic racism, the structures of racism that we may see, and it might be obvious to us, but even in the things that we don't see and that we're even complicit of. Like Jesus, the question for us is, do we exercise our influence and our, even our privilege or our place to challenge these systems and to talk about it and to stop the, the, the cycle of, of sin and the assault on the dignity of the person. Obviously, and there's no elephant in the room, we're talking about um, the fact that we have an, an all-out assault going on against our, our brothers and sisters who are in, in the image and likeness of God, right? The black community in this case, right? What are we willing to do to be Christ in the world, right? And so, um, so we're going we're gonna to jump right in right, to, to our first question, talking about systemic racism. And honestly, I had to go back and forth trying to find definitions and trying, because I thought you, you know, you think you know, uh, but you have no idea. This is the, wait, where was that from? Is it the real world? I don't know. But anyway, I, I thought I knew. But anyway, I wanted to ask Ogechi, since she led this, uh, she led this already uh, two days ago. Ogechi, uh, a definition for systemic racism um, that could definitely like help us kind of start off. Go ahead. So there's actually three types of racism. There's the interpersonal, so the relationship between people on an individual level, institutional racism, and then structural racism. And so I think what we're talking about when we say systemic is the combination of that interpersonal and institutional racism within our society that creates that structural racism. And they overlap often, but it amplifies Structural racism amplifies the treatment that we might receive on an interpersonal or even institutional level. And so there's a whole system that is fed by biases, stereotypes, and harassment that are based off of thinking about people of a different race, in this case, a Black person of a different race, in a negative light. And your actions and then the policies and structures behind that are affected by those negative stereotypes and biases. And that was uh, incredibly holistic, right? But this idea of, of, of racism, and, and it's stuff that we can see and something we can pinpoint, some things that we can see as tangible. But I don't know, uh, I wanted to show, share a little bit more with, with, with Mike Tenney. Uh, what did you believe prior to this moment? Uh, what is systemic racism? So, uh... Ogechi, first of all, last time on the first panel, you did like such a fantastic job and like of just facilitating and just like just helping people understand. And there was a couple like questions that I've always had that you answered and I was like, wow, that makes so much more sense. So 
Um, I'm glad you're here, so thank you for that. Uh, and what you said was like very much similar to what I was gonna say is that when we use the word racism, a lot of times we talk past each other because we're using the same word to mean like three or four different things. And there's that individual, like one-to-one -one racism, but then there's the, the larger things. And we have a similar language for that in the church. We have personal sin, and then you have social sin. You have larger structures of sin. Um, and John Paul II in his great encyclical, um, Evangelium Vitae, the, the Gospel of Life, he talked about a culture of life and a culture of death. And the culture of death are those things which make it hard for people to do the right thing. So like if I am uh, a, a college girl and I get pregnant and I don't have options on campus for daycare, it's harder for me not to choose abortion. That's part of the culture of death. Okay, if I live in a place where assisted suicide is the law of the land, and all of a sudden now there's not, uh, you know, after years of this going on, now there aren't places for people who have terminal illnesses to get hospice because that has become the, the exception rather than the rule. The rule has become assisted suicide and euthanasia. It's harder for someone in that culture to choose to live with a terminal illness rather than go with euthanasia. And I feel like there, there's, that's what we're talking about with the culture of death. And when it talks about um, racism, um, you know, there's, there, there's so many ways in our culture where it has become difficult to do the right thing. It becomes difficult to, um, to, to, to not fall into stereotypes. Um, and so uh, there, there's one more type that you talked about, uh, individual, and then you talked, or interpersonal, you talked about institutional and structural. There's one more that I think the church would talk about. And that's kind of the phrase I use is philosophical racism. So like, think of the Nazis, think of the white supremacists, people who, if you ask them, it, are white people superior to black people would say yes. Um, and the church would, the word that church has for that is heresy. It's a false teaching um, it, because it denies the fundamental teaching of, of what God has told us that we are made in the image and likeness of God, um, children of him, and we're, we're all united in that dignity. So um, I very much uh, uh, agree uh, with you. And I think it squares very nicely with what we've talked about um, with, with, with the language the church has to talk about racism. And the church would say what about the structures of racism? That they would just liken it to um, to that social sin, or what, what would they say exactly? <clears throat> yeah, so they would say it's a social sin and it's part of uh, the culture of death. Um, mm. Yeah, and John Paul II like specifically said in some of his talks that um, racism is a life issue. So if you are pro-life, you should be anti-racist as well, mm -hmm. under the umbrella of being. Any follow up, follow up with that, Father Pat? What are you thinking? Stroking your beard? What do you got? <laughs> My beard is in self-stroke mode. Um, that don't don't think that out. That's mm, that's weird. So yeah, um, I uh, snaps <laughs> snaps to our first two responses. I mean, the structure of sin. You we should you know think in terms of like. Um, while personal sin is like the first thing that I that I examine my conscience when I'm approaching confession, um, structures of sin uh, broadens the the conversation and like it's certainly possible to do a personal examination of conscience of how do I participate in like the um, social sin, um, but you also you know have to consider your vocation as a response to um, that healing and reform. So the, the, the vocations that are in the church, you know, those who are called to be in the world, but not of the world, um, we're all called to be part of uh, that, that 
healing ministry, um, I guess there, there was one conversation that I had after Tuesday that really um, made me wish that this had come up or, or had somehow organically flowed out of it. So I, I'm just going to drop, drop it in here and, and let people take it with them as they go or as they will. But um, we know that hurt people hurt people, and that's been true for a good long while. Um, but because of who we are as Christians, we also believe that healed people heal people. And that is equally, if not even more powerfully true. And I think that's, that's something that at, even individuals are called to do to address structures of sin. Because it's very easy in a conservative mindset to say, I'm only interested in my personal responsibility. I'm only interested in my tongue. And if I don't use racial epithets, then why should I bother about institutional racism? Well, because we all participate in this interconnectedness. Mm -hmm. We're all connected. There's a communion. Thank you, Father. There's a communion that we all share, right? We're all in this together. Well, it sounds good. It looks good on a, on a bumper sticker, right? You see those coexist, right? It, it looks good. But then when you start looking at it, and yes, there is a little inventory, a personal inventory uh, that I have to do, you know, introspection, like looking at myself and my examining my conscience. We talked about that two days ago, which was, which was fantastic and gone to confession since then. Um, but then what other structures are already in place that I may not be seeing? And, and so when I was uh, taking on this this role of kind of looking into it, uh, you know, and and doing some reading and having links sent over to me and just and opening my horizons and seeing just how ignorant I can be, right? Um, things I didn't even think about the fact that even in our in our church of uh, the um, that that we weren't allowing blacks to enter into seminary in the in the late eighteen hundreds and the the ramifications of that or. Uh, black women being held without like going to um, to go become nuns, right? This is all things are systemic. I think about I'm a big sports fan, and I think about things that were in place in uh, in the uh, NCAA with uh, profiteering and and marketing and and jerseys and shoes and video games off of their athletes, predominantly in basketball and football, like the black athlete, and they don't get a cent for, for all that. I, I think about the, the housing and the educational opportunities, these systems that stack against uh, this community. And, and that's what, I mean, I'm opening myself up to. So this brings me to my next one, like examples of like this structure, right? In our history, in American history, um, we'll get to in our church, right? But like, what are some things that like, now that you've sat with this for a little bit, you've had these questions, what are some examples of racist structures uh, that you've seen? Uh, I want to pivot this to, to Dom. What's up, Dom? Go, uh, things that you maybe you've, you've seen. Um, well, I guess, you know, being from New York, um, you know, New York, everybody says New York is like the melting pot. And it really isn't. Um, it's silos. You know, New York, um, you know, you have your Italian neighborhoods, your Greek neighborhoods, your Korean neighborhoods, and everybody kind of, everybody kind of knows each other, knows each other's um, culture a little bit, but people become very prejudiced. And so um, growing up in New York, there were times when I'd be driving in a neighborhood and, you know, in a predominantly white neighborhood, and I was pulled over for no reason because I was a in a, in a white neighborhood and even simply things walking into a store with my girlfriends who were also African-American and, you know, being followed around. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, 
it's it's a disease that you know there's prejudice which is you know um like a preconceived idea and then there's racism which is prejudice manifested and so i just feel like um you know whether it's in you know and i was talking to josh about this earlier that this is something you know my parents were born and raised in haiti a caribbean nation in um in the caribbean a little country french-speaking country and you know um i said even within the black community the caribbean community there's racism there's racism and it's implicit and you see it everywhere um you know i mean i i know that we can speak about it um you know ogechi i'm sure you could add to this but i mean i've grown up um you know there's the whole light skin dark skin thing there's the whole you know, not being um, proud of who you are, having your hair a certain way and being called a certain thing by my parents or others. It's just, it's, it's a very complex situation um, and it presents itself, not only whites and blacks, it presents itself within different subcultures. And this is something that I think we need to sit down and talk about. I don't think, I've had so many people reach out to me in the last couple of days and say, how can we solve this? And I said, we can't solve it. We need to understand it. And I think that's the big problem is that people do not, people are being very reactionary, but they're not understanding the depth of this, the, the, you know, the systemic racism, how far back this goes and how our country was founded on this. And so I just think um, that we need to do a better job um, of just, bringing people together and sitting down and really understanding the root of this. And I'll get you on, on Tuesday when you spoke, a few things you said, I love them. Um, one of the things was that it's gonna take courage and humility to have, to have these conversations. And um, I, I, I was like, when you said that, I was like, amen, sister. We need to have, we need to have courage and humility. And you know, are people ready to do that? And when I say courage and humility, I mean all African Americans, Latinos, Asians, why everybody needs to sit and have these conversations. So I'll get you. I see you snapping and the wheels are turning. I'll get you. And then I'm gonna go, uh, Brian. Thanks so much, Don. Thank you. Okay. I do have to correct again about the definition. Uh, go of for it. Mm -hmm. I am a stickler. Um so when you were talking about racism, especially um, as it relates to the black community, I think what you meant to say was pr uh, prejudice. And so we do have a lot of prejudice within the black community. And you're talking about light versus dark, that, um, that colorism that exists and that, that, that you're taught that the more Eurocentric you look and appear, the more value, the better you're, the more attractive you are and people, and this is a whole nother conversation, but that plays a dynamic in feeling worthy. And if you look more Eurocentric, then you have this bias and prejudice against people that look less Eurocentric or darker skin or more African. And, be, and that's because of the biases that we internalize that in, whether it's in media or from prejudice or racism that we receive as a black community. Um, in terms of the more structural or systemic way that I've seen racism, whether it's personally or have, how I've learned it, is something as simple as the educational system. Education is supposed to be the great equalizer, but if statistically, even if a student starts from the same background, socioeconomic background, great neighborhood, same school, 
on a statistical level, a black male student is less likely to be advanced and more likely to be punished for the same behavior that their white student counterparts are. And that is based off the bias. Well, the teacher is supposed to teach and they, if you have these um, unconscious biases that you carry with you in your profession, whether it's in teaching, there's a disproportionate race of mortality amongst black women. So for me, as someone that would love to have children, my biggest fear of ever having becoming a mom is that I might not make it to become a mom. The death, whether you're rich or poor amongst black women after they give birth is far higher than any other demographic. And so that systemic system that comes with biases, lack of listening to those black patients, all of those biases that we might brush off as that like uncle that's rude or they're not necessarily politically correct, that has a consequence that affects the future, whether it's education of that person and their likelihood to go to college and get a great income, that affects the livelihood and literally the lives of different people when it, when it comes to me, like being a mom and worrying about going to a hospital and not being able to be respected or heard by my medical professional. PG, Brian, what do you think? Um, yeah, like, so, this has been a flood of information like since, since the beginning of this. So I've just been sitting back, just like kind of like trying to collect my thoughts. There's a couple of things that were said. Um, you said in the beginning that everything that's going on is like we need to, it, it attacks the dignity of Black Americans, African Americans. It attacks the dignity of everybody. You know what I mean? It attacks everybody's dignity because it lowers everybody, but just in different ways. You know what I mean? You just think about it like this. If you go to a sports game and you see someone being crass, even if it's towards the team that you dislike, you understand that this person is lowering who he is. This person is, is going to a base level and you look down at that person. Racism, whether you're a black person that's experiencing it or whether you're a person that's not a minority and that's dishing it out, is lowering everybody. You know what I mean? So when we have these discussions and we fight this racism, we understand this. We're collectively fighting for the humanity of everybody. You know, we're 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 we're, we're trying to raise everybody in this. Um, when it comes to the church, and, and the thing is, like the separation that we see in the culture and the unity that we see in the church, that's basic. That's the that's basic. That's 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 Christianity one on one, like following Christ. Now, the difficulty that I've seen that kind of sparks racism is we have a some people have the tendency to want to fit Jesus into their isms, right? Into, you know, we have a standard of how I want to live. And let me just fit Christ in here to validate what I already want to do, you know? So I want to go down this path anyway. So let me make it so that this is the path that Christ will go down so that I convince everyone else to follow me down this path. So we've kind of flipped it. And we said that we worship Christ, but in reality, we worship a God, but that God looks a lot like us, right? So what we need to do is, you know, in, in my mind, and what this whole thing has sparked in me, and it's been going on for a while, is just like a conversion experience where Christ is the standard. I'm not going to fit Christ into the box of what I already, you know, I, I'm not going to say Christ is going to measure up to the lifestyle that I want to live. I know that Christ is the standard. So I'm going to live according to that standard, you know. And that is a, in stark contrast 
to the lifestyles of some people that even claim to be Catholic or Christian, you know. I want to live the way that Christ calls me to live, not fit Christ into the box that I've created about what life should look like, all right? That's a recon... If, if we go there, that eliminates all of this division. That eliminates all of this, this racism, classism, all of that if we live in imitation of Christ. What I've seen, and I don't mean, and I'm just... This is, this is what happens when you leave me bottled up on mute for like the last 15 minutes. <laughs> I just kind of, kind of rev up and it's like, it's like shaking a can of soda and then trying to open it up and you expect something <laughs> to, to, to easily come out and then it just explodes on you. But so, I, you know, I, I don't want to apologize because this is your fault because you left me. But, no, but the church and what the church is called to be four marks of the church one holy catholic and apostolic the church is what society is saying that they want to see they just don't know it yet what do we hear peaceful protests what do we hear we want everyone to be respected what do we hear we want unity what do we hear we want to stand together in essence that is what the church is that's the foundation of the church. So we are what the culture is striving to be, but the culture has no idea that the answer is already presented to you. Just look in this direction. You know, they're trying to kind of reinvent the wheel and there's chaos ensuing in the process. But, um, so, you know, when we talk mm -hmm. about like racism and, 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 you know, I think we, we've all experienced it in different ways. Whether someone has said something to me or, you know, truth be told, whether we've dished it out ourselves you know because i you know i i don't think in, in the course that we live in any of us are unscathed or innocent we we you know we 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 we've either we said something or we've sat through people saying things you know this is a moment of conversion this is a moment where listen i don't i don't i don't want to monopolize anything but let me i'm, I'm nah. just, and then i'm then i'm Go gonna be quiet i, I promise you <laughs> What we saw with George Floyd, and I don't want to skip in the end of this, what we saw with George Floyd is, it's like this. You can't feed the culture a consistent diet of death and getting God out of the, out of the way. You can't have this consistent diet of life is, is, is just the sum of what you can give to me. Life is worthless. There's nothing valued of life in and of itself. You can't... You, give people value, like, like say that, like violence is valued or life is meaningless. You can't feed people a consistent diet of that. And then when someone acts from the diet that you've been feeding them, it's, you can't really be surprised at that because you've shown these people, this is what we do. This is what life is about. What we have right now is an opportunity Everybody, and I'm just talking about the church and secular culture, and I'm not saying everyone in the church because not everyone is, at, some people see it totally clearly right now. Some people knew this from the beginning, but a lot of people, it's like a mirror is put in front of you. This is what can end up happening if you keep giving this message and pushing Christ out of your lives. This is what can happen. This is a moment I just think it's a moment for conversion where we have like a wake up call. And what's unique about this wake up call is that <laughs> we can't run from it. We can't 
like uh, uh, get something to take our minds off of it, it's right in front of us. This is a moment. Absolutely. We and it and, was know, funny. I'm going to stop talking. No, Brian, thank you. I'm going to put it back to you actually in a minute. But honestly, like this was something that I saw in a, in a meme. It was a, it was a 2020 meme. How everybody was, I don't know if anybody saw it. I was like, everybody's dreading 2020. Everybody hates 2020. But no, like 2020 was a roll call, was a call to wake up for a second and check your biases at the door to, to look at the things that are uncomfortable and, and to sit in it for, for a minute and then to move and then to move um, and to be prudent, right? A lot of times, um, even my myself, I've been victims of just firing off and I'm like, wait a second, why am I trying to solve it guy with like a savior complex for a second? Like I got to understand it. And so in that, I'm trying to understand what helps me is hearing it off of experiences. So are there any experiences that, that you guys have faced uh, uh, of uh, the structures of, of racism, either like at the university you went to, at the school you went to, at the job you did, even in the church? Let's open that door. I think all of us have worked for the church or have done ministry in the church at some point. Um, you know, we don't have to name names, but like, I don't know, are there examples of uh, these, these, this structure, this systemic racism that we're seeing, like we're talking about it, but like, let's, you know, you don't want to spend too much time on this evil, but at the same time, I got to, we got to understand it. Oh, get you. What are you thinking? So you're on me. Um, oh yeah. So um, I think just because people like to say that they're people of faith and the Catholic church calls for this and that, but we also like learn that if we don't know our history, we can't really be of good use in changing the, our present and our future. And so when I look at my identity as a black Catholic, um, it's twofold. So I'm African-American and when I call myself African-American is because I'm Nigerian and I'm American. And those two identities play a large part in my expression of faith. There's the beautiful history of music and dress and um, cultural celebration that comes with my, Niger my Nigerian heritage. Um, but there's also that dark history of that European colonization, colonization that took part in many parts of Africa. And many of the people that helped fund that colonization were, was the Catholic Church. Um, the Catholic Church took part in um, that expansion. And the result is that the Catholic faith is in so many different and diverse countries. But with that also came the destruction of a lot of cultural practices and um, capitalism that led to many abuses of people. Um, when I, my first instance of feeling not ashamed, but kind of like, huh, this is an interesting dynamic of being a black Catholic was when I took Africana studies class and I read diaries of um, slaves and slave owners. And I was learning how they were using the Bible to justify kind of like what Brian is saying, using Jesus and fitting it in their box. So there was a system of slavery that was very lucrative, taking people from their homes in Africa, bringing them to the Americas and the Caribbean and South America, creating this structure that made a lot of people a lot of money. Um, and they needed to justify that morally so they fit their faith into that structure. Now, later on, the Catholic Church was useful in helping to abolish slavery in some places, but there was still that history that existed. Um, and so I had to like, people will look at me like, how could you still be Catholic knowing this? How could you still be Christian knowing this? And I recognized that they use their faith to justify evil, but that is not the purpose 
service of the faith. That's not what we're called to do. And so my belief is separate from their misuse of God's, the gospel and God's mm. teachings and things like that. And so sometimes when um, I'm thinking about racist structures, I think of the ways that the Catholic church might've been complicit. They had segregated churches. Josh talked about priests not being able to enter seminaries. That's a way of maybe personally in their conversations, they would be kind to black people. But if you're complicit to the structural systems and policies that lead to, that are a result of racism and biases, then it kind of is like, are you following the law because it's the law or are you choosing to follow your faith? And there are some ways that the church in following the law that was unjust and racist, almost just by their silence or by their inaction was complicit to racism. Father Pat, what do you think, man? Examples uh, for you that, that you've seen? Yeah, I, I guess I would um, kind of uh, hearken back to, um, you know, the, uh, the idea of social sin that uh, Mike introduced us to and, and kind of, you know, walked us through alongside of, you know, Ogechi's, um treatment of the idea of structures of sin. So even something as simple as a, a, an element of our faith that is truthful, that we do believe and we do try and follow, and none of us is exempt from, like the idea of suffering, um, the reality of suffering, and the fact that every single one of us, as the Lord has told us, has a cross that we need to that we need to willingly take up in order to be His disciple, to follow after Him. But there have been at times, you know, even within the church, uh, let's say an overemphasis um, or kind of a, a an intellectual um, suppression of ideas on the basis of well you have to suffer like so so suffer right like um, embrace the cross that is yours you know know your place stay in your lane stay know your role and and call that the suffering that you must bear and that is your lot in life um so this is something that has been used uh for you know the oppression of um people across the socioeconomic um spectrum but it's definitely an example of something that we believe being twisted a little bit the same way that we would you know look at um the misreading of saint paul's letter to philemon that i mean we're not going to pause and you know um do a, a bible study you know but we could and 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 certainly it does come up in the lectionary for a reason uh, because there there are plenty of places in scripture that we have used to um gloss over these these realities and say like you see like you know really that they're, they're, they're not they don't exist like why are you why are you making waves like you know really what all that matters is that we're christians uh, oh no are christians so what's the big deal right and and those are ways those are ways that the church has um uh, unknowingly or the believers of the church, because we do want to make that distinction between like the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ in her, in her sanctity and her inviolability. Um, and those who have shepherded her and those who have followed within her, who have participated in the propagation and perpetuation of um, evils. Thank you, Father. Go ahead, Mike. 
All right, if you hear a little uh, a little holy ruckus here, it's because my son JP is chilling with me. He's right there. So uh, anyway, <laughs> if you hear a little bit, that's what's going on. Um, I love this conversation, and I feel like I could sit down with each one of you and talk about some of the things that you brought up, Brian, or Mitch, um, or Pat, or you just brought up a lot of really good things. Um, so in terms of like examples of racism, um, obviously, as as a white man, um, these are not things that like I experience directly, um, but thing, things that I've seen and, and things that I've just like studied in my in my studies. So over the past fifteen years of, of teaching, my school was a pretty diverse, always a pretty diverse school, but maybe in the last six or seven years is has become a majority African American. So a lot of my experiences is from watching my students and hear them talk about the same things that Dom just talked about about walking into a store and all of a sudden the store owner is watching you. Why are you watching me? Or, you know, I take my students on retreat and, you know, then like the groundskeeper of the retreat center comes like barges into our free time and, and like gives all the guys a talk about being like what it means to be a man of responsibility because he found stuff on the floor and it's like, like you didn't do that when I was bringing white kids on a retreat, like, and they were messy, you know? And so like, I see little things like that. Um, you know, and even, even trying to, to recognize implicit bias within myself, you know, I have a student in class who I'd never had before. Um, and I just seen them in the hallways and they get to my class and I'm like, wow, they're a really great student. And I, I think like, why, why didn't I think they would be a great student? Like, did wow. I see them in the hallway? Did I see them goofing around? Would I've, would I've had that same thought about them if they were a white student? Like when I see two white boys in the hallway, like messing with each other, does that have the same impact on me when I see two black boys in the hallway? Me, like messing with each other and pushing each other around like do I think one is just like roughhousing and I do I think the other one is like and so I've, I've had to do a lot of examination of myself and just like think about like do I have these do I have these biases where do I have these biases um and then like hearing uh, uh on two separate occasions I've had I've been talking to people I know about where they're going to send their kids to high school and I said well have you thought about Pilates and on two separate occasions I've had people say, I'm not sending my daughter to school with all those black kids. Happened twice. And it's just like, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> you know, and I've, and I've thought about it. And like, it's one of those situations where like a, a week later, you're like, yes, this is the perfect thing. And this is what I should have said. But in the moment, you're just like shocked. It's like, I can't believe I'm hearing this in the 21st century. Um, so I've, I've seen little things like that. Um, and uh, Dom and Ogechi were talking about how even with, Ogechi, I think you call it colorism, like even within the black community, like certain visual, certain like physical attributes that are closer to like white attributes are considered more, um, you know, more beautiful. And I, I, I hear the, the girls in my school talk about, oh, well, she light skinned. Oh, well, she's, she's this. And the light skinned girls are considered the pretty ones. Um, and the darker skinned girls are not considered considered the pretty ones. And I, I had a student earlier this year, excuse me, buddy. <laughs> I had a student earlier this year, uh, she, uh, an African-American uh, 12th grader, she wrote a paper on, um, it was just like a self-reflection paper. One thing she talked about is a song by Beyonce called Brown Skin. And she just talked about how meaningful it was for her to see in a piece of media, um, like brown skin, like seen as beautiful. and she talked about how, you know, watching, watching Disney movies and stuff growing up, it's mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And it never occurred to me before that in our language, literally to be fair means to be beautiful. And so I've seen things like that and on, on, a, on a personal level um, from my students, but then also, um, you know, I've read about uh, discrimination in housing. 
um, the practice of redlining. If you don't know what that is, Google it. And even like talking to a friend of mine who's a realtor and saying like, you know, lots of times I don't, I don't even show uh, white families the black neighborhoods. And I'm like, well, why not? He's like, because every time I do, they don't want to, they don't want to live there. It's like, oh, I was going to right, get the right feel. Well, maybe they didn't even think about it that way. But that's that implicit bias. Um, you know, in the justice system, it's pretty well documented that, um, you know, drug use between blacks and whites is the same, but blacks are much more likely to be arrested for it. They get longer sentences. Um, they're less likely to be paroled. Um, the death penalty uh, is applied very disproportionately to, uh, to African Americans. If you haven't seen the movie Just Mercy, I really recommend watching it. It's for free right now. Um, and uh, and even, even within um, the family, like one of the, the big uh, structural differences between a lot of black families and white uh, families, what they call the marriage gap. Um, and that, you know, people that grow up without fathers, they have, they have a harder time at school, they're more likely to get involved in crime, they have uh, greater, uh, physical, they have greater physical health um, problems and mental health problems, they're much more likely to be in poverty. Uh, and so we see that, that breakdown in the family, that's one of the negative things that came out of the sexual revolution, we see it disproportionately affecting the black community. Um, and so, um, you know, I gave, I gave a bunch of examples there and you can see, I loved what Brian Inogechi said that it's not, it, it, you can't fit Jesus and you can't fit the gospel and you can't fit the solution into your ism, right? You can't fit it into being a, a, a conservative or a Democrat because some of those things I listed are things that like your Democrats would be like, yes, I will vote for that. And other things the Republicans would be like, yes, that's the real problem. And you see that, well, really it's, you got to look at the person. You got to look at the dignity of the person in every circumstance. You got to look at the individual sin and the social sin and the structural sin. Um, so yeah. Those are, Dom, Dom, those I know you had something, Dom. Thank you so much, Mike. Dom? No, I just wanted to say that, you know, for me, um, it's been a little different just because of the way I look. People can never figure out what I am. And so I've had people say all sorts of things to me, but um, someone in the church, actually, um, she was a nun, and she said to me, are you Latina? And I said, no. And she goes, come on. And she went through all, she named all these Latin, this, these, this, these uh, Latin countries. And I was like, no. And I, and I said to her, my family is from Haiti. And her response to me was, you can't be from Haiti because Haitians are ugly. And I took a step back mm. and I processed what she said. And I said to her, where are you getting this from? She goes, I mean, don't you watch the news? Don't you see what? And, and I thought to myself, you know what? This is the problem. This is the problem. Where is this woman getting her information? Where are a lot of people getting their information? You know, that she would assume. And then I had to explain to her that Haiti was the first independent country, black country, and that it was colonized by the French and that people are all different shades. And, and I explained it all to her um, and she was surprised. But the point of that was that, you know, if I didn't have that conversation with her, she would have never known. And she already had a prejudice against me because I said I was Haitian and she thinks Haitians are such and such. And so it was like you just said, Mike, we have forgotten that we all are all God's children and we have an inherent dignity in us. And if we started treating each other like we had that dignity, we would view each other in a whole different way. Like you said, Brian, we, you know, we can't fit Jesus into this preconceived idea of what we think it should be. We have to rise up 
to who Christ is and see mm. that dignity in each and every person. So. I wanted to say, you, you kept saying, thank you, Dom. You kept saying, uh, where are people getting this information from? Well, one of my examples of, of when I saw things like that were just off and, and the way, like as an educator, as a, as a teacher, I teach religion at the same school as, uh, as, as Mike, like we were trying to find resources, you know, it was, it was, uh, uh, for uh, like black saints or even Latino saints, right? We we're trying to find, and it was like, I had to like dump things out. There was nothing book-wise like in the books that would, that, that shared any kind of, of, of black saints, like St. Charles Luanga and uh, St. Martin de Porres. Like I knew them, but I couldn't find information. I couldn't find videos. I couldn't find access, like free videos, like on YouTube, right? There was overwhelming. I mean, you can find St. Maria Goretti. You can find, uh, you know, all uh, all these big players. You can find St. Francis of Assisi. Oh God, St. Francis of Assisi. You can find them. But I couldn't for the life of me find these. And it was so hard because my students would ask me and be like, why is American, like dead ass real, like why is American Catholicism so white? And, and, that was, and that was so hard because I know that the church is universal and worldwide and the church is bigger in like, you know, in, in places of Asia and Africa, we've had in modern Catholicism, like an uptick in those places, you know, not as, not as much anymore, like since we've reached the 2010s and 20s, but here we are. And, you know, when you say that, like, I don't know, I took it a different way. I'm like, man, like, I don't see that representation or at least those resources that highlight and celebrate these folks, these brothers in Christ, it, it's almost being muted or no one's taking the time to even make it or content create. So I, I'm, I guess I'm speaking to content creators like Ogechi and myself at the Holy Ruckus. Like we, we're trying to like fill that void and, and, and talk about these things and have these conversations because I guess in Catholic circles, we're not having them or we're having them badly, you know? So um, here's my question for Brian. Um, because we talked about, um, excuse me, we talked about on uh, on Tuesday, like how to become an ally, right? How to be a part of the solution and and listen in and, and, and these steps of educating yourself, going on Google and typing in these, you know, these terms that, you know, are were foreign to me, right? Especially so. So here it goes. Um, my question was before moving on to like responding to this structural racism, um, you know, how considering all of this, like how do we respond? Like what does discipleship and allyship demand of us when it comes to structural racism? And, and you've, you've hit on it, you know, but just, I want to just focus in a little bit more, like when it comes to like how to become an ally and how to become a disciple, like when it comes to like addressing this ill, this disease of, of structural racism, can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I may not be able to give you anything exhaustive, but I think it, for yeah. me, it's just being understanding and empathetic. You know, understand. I think it's problematic when come on, so when someone comes into a situation with a can fix attitude. I'm I'm just going to do this. These are the five steps that I'm going to do to solve everything. Um, you may be giving answers to questions that people don't even have, or you may be solving problems that people aren't even dealing with. I think understanding and empathy, listening to a person's pain, like not listening just with your ears, but listening in, with your heart. That empathy, allowing their pain to infiltrate your heart and and attaching it to your experiences so that you can better understand it and from that heart perspective speaking to that other individual so like you have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation and when you have that heart-to-heart -heart conversation then pointing them to god you know i think that i think the empathy is is going to be 
is kind of key. key you know, what did you think empathy was? Like, what, what is think? empathy? Like, I, you know, I have an idea. What is empathy, empathy to you? When I see, when I think of empathy, I think of connecting my heart with, with the heart of another person. Like understanding this person's experience from, from my own experiences. You know, it, it, it's difficult to go through what everyone has been through. Uh, but I know what pain feels like. I know what rejection feels like. I know what hurt feels like. So I was hurting this way. You were hurting this other way. But we still have that same feeling and that same longing. So I'm going to speak to that. I'm going to let my heart attach to your heart. I'm going to speak from my experience to your experience. I think that's what empathy is. So I think that's that. That's one thing, understanding where, where, where people are coming from. Um, and I want to say another thing. You know, Ogechi and, and Father and Michael and Dominique, you all hit, hit some phenomenal stuff. And like, uh, when we talked about not allowing, not falling, not fitting Christ into our isms. And when you said uh, uh, about um, the inability to find saints that look of African descent so that you can teach your students, how powerful is, what type of message is that, that we can't even find saints that look like these people? You know, what does that do to a kid's psyche who, who wants to be Catholic, but can't find someone that looks like themselves to kind of aspire to, you know? And I'll get you historically when, you know, when, 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 when you were given a vision of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. and Christ looked like the people that were oppressing you. What does that do to the mentality of a person that, you know, how, how does that not mess you up and, and set you back in your pursuit of holiness? So, but I, I want to speak to like something that father said. Um, I think one of the difficulties, in, in, I think it's important to understand people's experiences. And if you want them to follow them, if, if you want them to follow you, you have to be honest with people. You have to respect their experiences and understanding that when you say something to people, they may not necessarily be processing it the same way you process it. If you want me to go down this path, okay, but don't sugarcoat the path, or don't sugarcoat the person. Don't sugarcoat this stuff. Let me know that this path that I'm going down, it may be difficult for me in, in, in my culture and what I've experienced in the past. It may be difficult, but we're playing the long game. So what you're doing may cause some sacrifice, but allow me, just respect the intelligence of the people that you're ministering to, and allow them to know, okay, what they're getting themselves into, because they may not understand it the same way that you understand it, but by telling them like, this is gonna be difficult and respecting their intelligence, it will bring, it will enable them to respect you and bring, a, bring together community, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It absolutely does, Brian. Thanks, man. Oh, Getchi, I know you had something. I agree. Um, I think, like we can all talk about our micro, I could write like 10 books about the microaggressions that um, I have experienced, whether it's outside of the church or even within the pews of the church. And um, to what Dom was saying, first of all, girl, you have the strength, the patience of Job because <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe it was because it was like a nun or that you were not like immediately reactive, but um I think the biggest thing for me to take away and that I would hope that other people would take away is that it goes beyond just, like we keep saying, it goes beyond just our personal responsibility because like I said in the definition of structural racism, 
it's a combination of that interpersonal or personal responsibility and then the policies that are written as a result. So that institutional racism, that creates that structural racism. And so a lot of people focus on their personal responsibility. And then we have to ask people, how are we attributing, how are we challenging that institutional racism and the combination and the ways that that overlap that create this big structural system of racism. And so some of the ways that I personally act to challenge that, and maybe this can encourage other people outside of what we talked about with allyship and reading books and learning about Black Saints. There's a whole Black Saints month. If you didn't know that, then now you know. So whenever that month happens, I can't remember the exact month right now, but um, look out for Black Saints. Change your lens of thinking. So your personal level could be something that changes policies or practices institutionally. So if you see your church doesn't offer something that might be beneficial to a diverse group of people, ask for that to happen. Say, why isn't there examples in the curriculum about Black saints? Or when they give a list of potential confirmation saints and it's always the same five names, insert names of different kinds of saints that are Black, Asian, whatever, to create that norm that that should be something that's already part of the policies and procedures of religious education, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's with your friends, kind of always personally help change the institutional norm. And I think together with, um, if you choose to do activism, I am a community organizer and the beauty of community organizing is that I have the moral responsibility to seek out inequities. And once you seek out inequities, you see that in every aspect of your life. You see that in the workplace, you see that with students. Why aren't, for example, if you have a college day at your school, are they inviting HBCU schools to that college day? Are they offering historically black um, colleges to come to speak to your school? And the simple question of why not changes that mindset and it shifts the lens, lens for people that might have just been in the bubble, that tunnel, and they don't see it. And so that, that practice of changing your personal lens and then asking that why question and shifting other people's lenses helps change policies and procedures. And I think that can be done inside and outside of the church. Let me say something real quick. Like I, just one thing I think that that's key to, to know is that uh, this is not a, uh, this whole situation is not an easy fix, you know, and, you know, this is, it took us a while to get to where we are right now, you know, and um, it's going to take us a while to get out of that, you know, and, and the worst thing is for people to start things and then just drop it because that's mm -hmm. been our tendency in the past, you know, something like this happens, you know, have it, you know, what's happening right now, like the, the pain has happened before. And then we've had the discussion of, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do these five things. And then football season starts again. And then we lose our attention. And then we, we go, you know, we have to understand this. It took us time to get here. It's going to take us time to get out of it. You know, and if we're going to do something, we're playing the long game because, you know, the pain is deep. The pain is rooted in, and, and the reformation is going to be, is going to take time. So, it's good to, to, to start out, but just understand that this is, if we're serious about it, this is going to take time to get us out of the situation that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. Mike, yes. anything? And, and uh, can I, sorry, can I just oh, add yeah, go ahead, right. thing? I think in all of this, um, when we talk about racism, it's always related to power. 
And so it's always a majority group that has the power to affect the lives of a minority group. And that power comes with a lot of responsibility. And so we all have power and in community organizing, we talk about people power. Um, and so there's like the responsibility for us to, those of you that may not be black, you might think that like, I don't have this history of racism or I've never done this or that, but you have the power just by nature of the privilege that you have. And so in, my sense you have an even greater responsibility to do the work together with all of the other different minority groups to really make sure that change is sustainable i think like brian was saying a lot of people um get exhausted and the people that are in the forefront are usually the people of color that are initiating the fight for justice and they get exhausted but that power of the majority can really make sure that the change sustains itself and so i want people to remember that um when we talk about structural racism, we're not talking about laws that can be written because we've seen laws written. We're talking about power dynamics that need to be changed. And with that comes the willingness to share your power. Yeah. Oh, Getchy, what you, I just, I'm sorry, but nah, nah. I just want to affirm this because Ogechi, you, I mean, you're hit, I mean, you hit it. It's sometimes people get like uh, intimidated because they're not African-American and they're like, okay, you know, what should I do? I, I can't do anything. If you have the heart to care, I think that's where it starts. You know, if you have the heart to care and, and you're guided by that heart, that's the most important thing. You know, we may not have the same experiences, but you can come to me and say, honestly, I hurt for you and I want to know, and I want to know what I can do, you know, to help you out. You know, and I think a lot of people get intimidated. They say, I can't do anything because I don't have that experience or I shouldn't do anything because I can't share their experience. It doesn't matter. If you have the heart to care about other people, I think that's, that's, that's where you start. Everything else you'll figure out. Everything else you'll learn. But the heart, you can't, the heart is key. Because it is a conversion of the heart. I mean, you can get educated and you can, right? That's all within our, within the realm of possibilities. But mm -hmm. the, the journey from the head to the heart, right? That conversion, that, that needs to happen. And it's going to happen by addressing the wounds and the fears of why won't I go there? What's keeping me ignorant? Or what's keeping me from stepping in for my brother or my sister or my, my coworker, right? Or my priest, right? We need to, we need to be there. Father Pat, anything? As we close up, guys, I know we're, 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 we're catching on at time, so we're going to conclude here, but I got something else after Father. Yeah, I, I'd say I, just a very, very brief um, uh, kind of word of hope, I suppose, um, especially because I loved, I loved where you brought us with the, the, um, the example of uh, Black saints. First of all, there, there are a lot of African saints, you know, like one of the bedrocks of the early church produced like some of some of the just the masters the spiritual masters were coming out of africa out of egypt and and carthage and um and yeah um so go ahead I, name them father pat name them saint saint augustine saint cyprian um the, the, the apostles who who went to um ethiopia you know uh philip the, look the, the point i'm i'm trying to make is that there are many more saints in the church than those that we get to honor with their own day on the calendar. And this is, this has always been my point of contention. I know you've, you've also put this argument up there, Josh, 
and Mike and, and any, any of you who have worked with young people that you can and we are called to be saints. And so there are plenty, there, there, it's not that we have enough saints, like we need more. Um, but yes, we do have many more uh, saints that, you know, weren't able to be shepherded by a religious order or like a wealthy donor, you know, through the canonization process. But there are, um, there are saints. So pray to these, pray to these saints, these silent saints, these anonymous saints, and ask them to intercede for us, um, to, to find that courage within to, to be living in our, in our prophetic. Thank you, Father. Go ahead, Mike. So if I can just, uh, uh, first of all, one of the things that grieved Jesus the most was when people had hard hearts. And uh, so I think Brian's right. If we have open hearts, like that is the first step. Um, so in Catholic social teaching, there's a principle called the two feet of social justice, that you need like individual works, and then you also need like structural change. And that's something that both people have talked about. So that's a very Catholic idea that you got to work at both. Mm. So if I can give one principle on the structural side, it's called the preferential option for the poor. Basically, that it means that, it, and it's throughout scripture, is God loves everybody, but he really loves the poor because they're the most vulnerable. And that's like the bedrock of so many Catholic teachings on like uh, abortion and, and, and economics and so many things that when you have all these different options, the option you should prefer is the option for the poor, which is why I don't mind as someone who's generally conservative, I don't mind saying black lives matter because yes, all life matters. Yes, I'm pro-life across the board. But there's certain times you need to say when a certain uh, way, the vulnerable, it's a preferential option for the poor. So saying Black Lives Matter is a super Catholic thing. It's absolutely preferential option for the poor. Thank you. On the other side of that, um, the individual acts, the principle from Catholic social teaching that I think is helpful there is solidarity. Like, what does it mean to be in solidarity with someone is you've got to be solid with them. And how do, um, how do we overcome so many of these differences? And like, I think of my grandmother who was like kind of racist in a lot of ways. I remember when my, my cousin brought home an Italian girlfriend, she was like, ah, he's, a, he's Italian. Like, how did, how did those little silos that Don mentioned in New York, how, many, how did so many of those things broke down? Because people got to know each other. People got married, you know, like that solidarity. So like, that's why segregation is so bad and so destructive is once we get to know each other and we're not just, you know, um, chirping at each other online, then we actually get to know each other. We actually see each other, what we've been through, and that's where real change um, happens. Yeah. So. Dom? I just mm -hmm. wanted to say that God, that the evil one is rejoicing in this division and that God is calling us to come together to, um, you know, nothing great happens in our comfort zone. And so, you know, I've had a lot of friends reach out to me that are white and say, you know, what can I do? What can I do? And a lot of them say, I have black friends. And I'm like, that's not enough. That's not enough anymore. We need to do more. We need to have these conversations. And so I just want to just sec second, third, fourth, everything that everybody said that this is an opportunity for conversion. God is calling us deeper. God is calling us to have those uncomfortable conversations, these courageous conversations, but that's the only way change is going to happen. And I pray that we don't forget this, like you said, Brian, that, you know, in a, a week or two, when the next big thing happens in the media, that we just forget about George Floyd, forget about the systemic racism and move on to the next thing. So. And that's the thing that we have to fight against. And one of the things I want to say, like the fact that we're all here united, I mean, we have the, the same faith and unite, but folks that are listening that are parishioners, like what are we doing for the preferential option of the poor, right? The, the, the black lives, are, like what are we doing to echo that in the pews? Cause we all hear the same message. Go therefore and proclaim the gospel with your life. And yet we're still in our silos and yet we're still in our, and then we hold up 
I mean, in my experience, one of the big institutions that I've seen is um, being a, a part of or seeing parishes that that love to that diocese that love to just hold them up as like social justice warriors in the parishes and saying like, oh, look how many people we've served or look how many people we fed, but yet these parishes are in the red, like they're in trouble because financially they're not getting the, they're so they're they're getting the lip service, right? But they're not getting the funds they need, right? So it's it's totally imbalanced. And so uh, parishioners of, of parishes, like we need to do better at, at helping our pastor and not just saying, hey, Father, you should do this. Like, no, saying like, I'm going to get a team together and we're going to do this. Like, um, if you have a, you know, Dom, you're a, a parish evangelizer. Like, that's your title. It's a title. Like, how many volunteers do you need to like put something together? Like, we need to get out there, you know? So whatever your community is, if you're a teacher, right? If you're um, in the parish or you're a youth minister, like getting people on board, like that's how you can help. You know, um, you don't have to have the treasure. You don't have, maybe your treasure is your time. Maybe you actually have treasured cheddar cheese, then give, give it, give it, find the places to give it to, right? So, so that's it. I'll get you anything before we close out. You're, you're on, uh, you're on mute. I muted myself because I tend to interject a lot. But um, I think we've had such a great and um, fruitful discussion. Um, and I just want to challenge everybody that this is a two-part series, but we could have gone for like 20, 20 parts and really, really dissect. We chose to be as abstract as we could. But if you would like more information, we talked about this on Tuesday, there's going to be a blog post once I get my life together and write it um, with a little bit more in depth from both topics and resources that you can check out. And I really encourage you to have these similar conversations with friends. I actually have one scheduled for Sunday with a couple friends. And um, I don't think this is, should be something that we shy away from. Like we talked about on Tuesday, we can start with prayer and then have that personal reflection that introspective thinking of ourselves, our role and where we can grow and then just start the journey and the world will be truly better for it and if you have any questions i'm available and i'm sure everybody else on the panel would love to um give you guidance thank you thank you so much guys for your time i want to close this out in a in a bit of the, the word in the scripture so in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen this is from the letter of John. <sighs> John. Uh, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. Amen. Uh, for obvious reasons, right? Uh, no more lip service, man, uh, me included. Uh, when it's time to move, God will put it on us. And it's, it, but it's got to come from uh, being prudent and asking for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. No, no coincidence, maybe, that we are in, you know, we, we just experienced Pentecost. And, you know, and, and I know, like, things will cool and, and the media will move on to a new slant. But uh, we need to, um, to stay on and, and stay asking for justice and, and and re reconciliation and reconciling us back to the Father uh, and to fight these systems. All right. Uh, one thing that the Holy Records is going to do, ladies and gentlemen, as, as we're closing out, uh, is uh, we're going to work with some people to, to kind of highlight the, um, 
maybe the racial inequality that we're seeing in the church. And so we're going to make like a little uh, doc about it, a little documentary. So I'm going to ask help from, from these folks if they want to be a part of it. But that's one thing that the Holy Rex is going to try to do, uh, put something together, a short film. Because so, why not? Because there's not enough media uh, that, that does it from the Catholic side. And I'm going to do it to call people out too, uh, call myself out. Uh, anything, last parting statements, say goodbye. Thank yous, everyone. Love. We good? Love. Mike. Good? Love. Thank you guys. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on this. I felt a little awkward as a token white guy, but it's, it's my <laughs> privilege to be here with you. Hope I didn't talk too much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Brian, thanks so much, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, let me say, can I say one thing? Yes. Hit him up. Hit him up. This is it's like right bonus. now a great opportunity for the church to be the church, you know, for the church to be the church. I think the solution to what's going on, it lies in the church. And we have a great opportunity because people are open to it. Uh, the caveat is this, if we do nothing, uh, people are gonna look at us like we're not effective. Like what's the virtue of this place if they do nothing in the midst of this? So to it, so we can do something phenomenal or if it's just lip service and we sit out of the by, you know, it's not gonna be a good look for us. So I think just like you said, take advantage of this time and this openness and you know, lead people to where they need to be. Thank you, thank you. Getchy, I have to give it to you one one last time. Oh, Getchy, anything? Oh, thanks for giving me the final word. I appreciate it. Um, no, I just think that this has been a blessing and the work has just begun. And we have um, shown what it could be like to have these discussions and modeled it to people. And I hope that people take the information that they have received, the tips and resources, and let it take root and flourish um, God's love in the truest way that it's meant to be in this country and abroad. Thank you. And Ogechi is going to release a blog, kind of a summary of all this in a neatly packaged blog article, aren't you, Ogechi? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so is Mike. As the token white guy, you got to, Mike. You got to. Come oh, yeah. on. <laughs> It's the we'll summertime. See. We'll see. To be continued. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for the conversation. Thanks so much for the time. Let's be the light of the world. Let's go. Thank you. Amen. 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 See ya. All right, that's it. That was our episode number 62 on Let's Talk About Racism. Let's continue the discussion, guys. Let's keep hearing each other out. Uh, for more on this, head on over to theholyruckus.com for blog, awesome blog content that our writers are writing and uh, more video content that's coming out as well on uh, The Holy Ruckus uh, via our YouTube. And yeah, we're so excited for where we go from here. Also, we've just added a new podcast to the podcast network, which is called The One-to-One -One Podcast with Kevin Wells and Father Dan Leary. Kevin Wells is the author of The Priests We Need to Save the Church, and Father Dan has been kind of like our, our pseudo like prayer warrior and chaplain for the better part of the last couple of years. And now he is off on a new assignment to be the newest chaplain of World Villages for Children, which is a awesome mission and organization brought on by Father our Venerable on the way to sainthood, Aloysius Schwartz, Father Aloysius Schwartz, Father Al, and the Sisters of Mary. And so he's off in Mexico doing his thing. So ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't already, check out the one-to-one -one podcast wherever you get your podcast, And of course, more with us and Father Pat, the Holy Ruckus podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Drop us a line if you love it. Give us a review. Let us know um, where you're at, where you're coming from, where you're listening from. We love you. God bless.